Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. <laughs> have to have the audio on. Again, for those here and those watching online, uh, we do not have music this morning. Uh, Randy and his whole household, if you don't know, uh, are out. The kids have COVID, um, and they're recovering still. Or Brianna's still recovering from that. And we weren't able to get anyone else uh, here. I think Lydia's in Utah. Um, so anyway, no music this morning. Uh, and also the Women's Book Club uh, is not going to be happening this Thursday as far as meeting here. I don't know if Brianna will contact you if you're going to Zoom and do that again. Otherwise, um, she'll let you know when these things are going to happen. Uh, but otherwise... We're going to get started here. Uh, any other announcements? Um, just, uh, again, if you're going to support Genesis, you can do it online at thegenesisstory.com and the different ways that you can give there. Um, but we are going to get started, and so let's pause, let's pray, and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 today, and I may just ruin the book for you, um, and hopefully... By doing so, make it alive again. Bless you. That was Mary, if you didn't know. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for our time together. Grateful to be able to look at these ancient and sacred texts and to be inspired by them, to be challenged by them, and to be challenged in how we look and study them. Thank you for the time that we have here, Lord. Pray that you would help us, Lord, to grow in our relationship with one another and you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, heaven. Happy Father's Day to all you dads who are here and dads who are out there. Also, happy Juneteenth, Um, remembering that in 1865 is when the final uh, people who were enslaved in Texas found out that three years earlier they were actually uh, freed in the Emancipation Proclamation, which is kind of crazy that it took three years for them to get that news, but it is a time that we celebrate that, and we do want to be praying for, again, the Vic family. We want to be praying for the family also of the two officers who were killed in El Monte. just found out this morning that they actually were Upland residents, um, and so our hearts go out to them and to just the trauma that is facing them. 
A lot of things happening, and here we are talking about the book of Genesis. You know, I, I used to live with a, a type of fear, and, and maybe you can relate to this. I, I used to be afraid that I was going to find out some information, whether it be archaeological or scientific, that was going to prove the Bible wrong. And so whenever I would hear something like, you know, the God gene, or I'd hear about some evolutionary discovery, and I would go into this mode of how do I, how do I deal with this knowledge? And I was haunted by that, that I was going to be introduced to something that was going to challenge my faith. And so what I, I would start to do is just double down on my faith. Well, I'm just going to I'm going to prove that, you know, this is how it is and the Bible is, you know, accurate historically and all these things I've got. And when people would present things to me or maybe you've heard things, you go back and you find some book that tells you how to answer this question about this. And I lived with this thought in my mind, is this true? Did a serpent actually talk? And then I'd find someone say, oh yeah, we found this evidence. How do you find evidence that a serpent talked, right? There's no evidence out there that's going to prove that happens or doesn't. But I lived with this kind of thought. And I think what we have to do is remember, and this is kind of why I, I harped on it so much last week, is that Genesis is an ancient book written to an ancient people at an ancient time to communicate something to them. And I think it gives us a little understanding about the Hebrew scriptures to recognize that when we try to put it in our modern worldview that many have called a biblical worldview, And there are two main ideas about the book of Genesis. One is that it's a quaint story about these simplistic people who didn't understand science or the universe. And the other is that Genesis gives us a play-by-play of how the universe began and has to be scientifically and historically accurate. And I think both of those views do an injustice to what the book is and will keep us from getting something useful from the book because we are now pigeonholing it in an ideology that isn't going to work with what the book is. I think they're both incredibly, they do a disservice to what the Bible is. And it will fall short if we hold those views and seeing what is being told. Now, last week, Rick asked for a timeline. So I wanted to put one up, and I know this is going to be disappointing to many of you because it's not going to answer all the questions that we have in our modern view, but it is going to help us to understand how things were being communicated, right? We have common era. This is current, so we're going backwards here, right? We have the common era, which is 
present and we're going back. AB stands for after Babylon. This is when the Persians conquered Babylon and Israel got to go back to their land. And so that was about 539 BCE. This is when we believe the majority of the Old Testament was written in this time or compiled. Uh, I remember last week I talked about how we had evidence that it wasn't written way back here because there's talks about when they had kings, which was over here. And then some of that information got compiled after all these things happened. And I'll explain that as we go along. But we know that the majority of the scripture was written around this time. The exile of Babylon happened about this time. And so this is a monumental event. For 50 years, the Jewish people were ripped from their land, enslaved for the Babylonians, and it was something that historically marked that time. You know, when I was in Ireland, everyone kept mentioning the Troubles. You know, it was back when the Troubles. And we were like, the Troubles, what's that? Well, it's when they were going through their civil war, basically, where violence was breaking out between the Protestant and the Catholic. And it was devastating the city. It was devastating lives. And so I don't know how many times I heard, oh, during the Troubles, because it was a time that marked the country. How much more so would the exile, being removed from your country, enslaved by another country, And being held there for 50 years, how much more would that mark the people? And would that show up, the people who are writing this, going through this, explaining what's happening here? Just like Matthew chapter 24, if you don't keep in mind that the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD took place and Matthew is looking back referring to the things that Jesus said, you get all kinds of ideas about what Jesus is talking about. We have the kings of Israel, which marked the highlight. This is when the nation was at its epic. We have King David, King Solomon, the two kings who were the most well-known, and when the north and the southern kingdoms were brought together. And so this is the highlight of those times. These people are remembering these days, but what happened? God promised us that we would have a king on the throne. Now we don't. Who is this God now that we are here? And so this is playing a big part in how they are seeing this. Remember I talked about that over half of the Pentateuch, the Torah, the five books, Genesis is one of five books, over half of it, centers around this event, Mount Sinai. So in these five books, over 50% is talking about referring to this time. And so these stories here are going to be pointing here, and these stories here are going to be pointing here. It's all coming down to here where the Torah, the law was given to Moses because this was a central part of the identity. This is when God separated this people, gave them a law that was gonna make them distinct from all these other nations. 
And so as we are looking to this story that's over here before Abraham, it is going to be pointing us to this, and it's going to be remembering this. And I say that because there's going to be a lot of things in the story of Genesis that are going to be very similar to some of the stories that were being told in Babylon, but they're actually going to be making jabs at them. And it's going to be important to notice that because they are here looking back. I remember when you guys conquered us, but who's conquered now? We're going to tell our story and we're going to remember your story and telling our story that culminates here. Make sense? There's your timeline, Rick. Okay, it's all clear now, clear as mud. Well, good. We'll have time for questions anyway, later. Um, Many of us have been taught that God made everything out of nothing, and and we take what we've learned, and, and then we make the Bible fit the science and the modern view that we have now. We, we know about the universe. We know how big it is. We know how it, it's still ever expanding. And, and so what we do is we take these writings and we try to make them work with the knowledge that we have, which again is not what the writers were doing. They are telling a story to their people about their identity and their God. Do you think ancient Israelites believed that stars were billions of light years away burning suns? No. We'll see in Genesis, it talks about the light during the day and the light during the evening. What are they talking about? Well, the sun and the moon, but the moon isn't a light. It's a reflection. Do you think they knew that? No, they didn't know that. Do you think they're trying to give that information? No, that's not the story that they're telling. And so turn with me to Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. Because in this understanding, this modern view of God creating everything out of nothing, it doesn't sound like that's what's happening when we read Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, except for the words in the beginning, it feels like we're walking in the middle of something, and that's because we are, right? We, we don't begin with a whole lot of nothing. We begin with this mysterious deep, which turns out to be the waters. And we see that this was their view in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. I talked about this last week. Peter writes, but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Okay, which gives us a more clear understanding of what's being written. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. Okay, darkness was over the surface of the deep. The deep. Darkness was over the surface of the water and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The modern mindset says, wait a second, how could the earth be formed out of the water? Doesn't the water need to come from the earth? It doesn't make sense. And this is where I would double down and find a way to make this fit 
into my scenario of mindset and understanding. They didn't care about that. They are telling a story. And if we lose that, we will lose so much from what is being said here. And we will rob ourselves trying to make it fit something it was never meant to fit. This is why I hammered home. It's an ancient story written to ancient people specifically to communicate something. And Genesis is, again, part of a series of books. No ancient culture at this time believed that the world and creation was made from nothing, and neither did the Israelites. They didn't think that way. And where did the earth and the deep come from? If, if God didn't create it, where did it come from? Genesis answers that with silence, interrupted by crickets. It doesn't tell us, and we have to get used to that because there's gonna be a lot of things that we ask questions about that aren't being answered because that isn't the mindset that they are in. Now, one of the things that I used to do is I would say, well, these things were written prophetically. In other words, God communicated to these people things that were beyond their ability to understand. So when they were writing these things down, they were writing things as we knew them because God knew what the stars were. God knew what the sun was. God knew what the moon was. And and so God was transferring this information to these people, even though they didn't know what they were talking about. But don't you understand that it would make no sense to everyone who was reading it at that time if that was what was being said? And that's why we find things like the light at the nighttime, which is actually the moon, and why we find other things that just have a lot of problems trying to fit them and adapt to maybe our modern understanding. Instead, the story focuses on the earth being chaotic, darkness, the deep, or as some translations say, a formless void. And water seems to have something to do with it. Why? Because the phrase in the Hebrew for a formless void is tohu bohu. It sounds like some new exotic food group, but it's not. Okay, it's two words. Tohu means formless and bohu means empty. In English, the phrase has come to mean something utterly chaotic. And when we use the word chaos instead of nothing for what we find at the beginning of Genesis, we are beginning to understand the ancient mindset about how God creates. At the beginning of Genesis, we are beginning to understand this is what God is doing. He's taking chaos and he's bringing order. In the ancient world, biblical time, The gods did not create out of nothing. The world looks the way it does because the gods tamed the chaos. Genesis is Israel's story about who is truly responsible and the uniqueness of Israel's God in an ancient mindset is not that God creates out of nothing, but in a swift and invincible power, God displays and overcoming the chaos that is there in six days. And he does it by himself. 
He doesn't do it with the help of other gods. Israel's story stands in stark contrast to their neighbors who had other creation stories that were a lot different. And so how does God tame the chaos? Well, first, where there is no form, tohu, God will make habitable, ordered space. And where there is emptiness, bohu, God will fill it. And so what we see is on days one to three, God creates space. And on days four to six, God fills the space. The whole chapter is structured as an answer to the formless void, the tohu bohu, that we saw in verses one and two. What is God going to do with this formless void? What is God going to do with these unsettled waters? What is God going to do with this chaos? He is going to create and bring about order from the chaos. Think of it like this. If you have, you're going to play Monopoly. You have game night, right, as your family, which always was a tragedy when my kids were young. It was just mayhem, right? Someone threw the board and it was over, right? But you're going to play Monopoly on the table, but the table is filled with junk mail. It's filled with Amazon boxes and packages. It's got some sticky stuff still on the table from breakfast earlier. And so what you have to do before you can play the game is you have to clean the table, And so you remove everything, you wipe off the table, and you are getting it ready. You are bringing that chaos into order so that now you can bring out the board. Now you can put the cards, the pieces there, set some room out for snacks and drinks, and now you are ready to play. It's a similar thing that's taking place. The place, the board, the cards, everything is God now bringing order to what was once just a mess. And so in days one through three, God is creating space. In verse three of Genesis, we see that he separates the light from the dark. In verse three of chapter one, it says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. No sun has been created. That doesn't happen yet. That happens in verse 14. God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. God creates space and then he creates that. In verse Six, we see he separates the waters above and below. Verse six, it says, God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. We'll get to that. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. But then we see in verse 20, God lets the waters teem with living creatures, let the birds fly above. Basically, everything that wasn't on the land got to inhabit these things. And so he makes the space, and then verse 20, he fills the space in day four. 
Same thing with the oceans. He creates space in verse nine. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. In verse 24, God said, let the land produce living creatures. He makes the space and then he produces what the space is going to inhabit. He cleans the table and then he sets the board games up. If we don't see this, we have all these hoops we got to jump through. How can there be a day when there is no sun? Right? Isn't that what a day is? Did they know that the earth revolved around the sun? No. So what are we going to do? Are we going to say, well, the Bible's just no good then because it didn't know scientifically what we know today? Or are we going to understand that a story is being told to communicate something very important to the people in an understanding that they had? Have you ever gone to the show with somebody who, you know, you're watching like Lord of the Rings or, or some movie you're watching, I went to watch Jurassic Park the other day and you go there and someone's there sitting with you and go, oh, that could never happen. Oh, that could never happen. And you're just like, that's not the point, right? We're watching a movie. I know this couldn't happen. And if you don't know anyone like that, you might be the person like that, okay? (laughs) They're ruining the story, right? I I don't want someone to tell me the Lord of the Rings could not happen. I want to enjoy the story and get the things from the story that are being told, that are meaningful. And I ruin it by trying to make it fit in my understanding of what I know, something that is happening thousands and thousands of years ago when their minds were not worried about those things, were not thinking about things. There was no such thing as a universe. There was the cosmos. And so what we do is we see God is clearing Space, separating light from dark, creating sun, moon, stars, separating the waters, the sky, the waters below, inhabiting it, and so on. It was bringing order into the chaos. And this is the overall picture painted for us in Genesis. We begin with chaos, with tohu bohu, and by the time we get to the end of the chapter, we have air, land, sea, and all those things that fill those spaces. Chaos is ordered, and the cosmos are filled, and God has done his work with little effort. Now that we have the big picture down, there are a few details he wants us to know. For example, Israel's captors, the Babylonians, they had a creation story. And in their story, it was very big on astrology, that the sun, the moon, the stars, they foretold the future. Some people think they might have thought they were gods. That's not really sure. But they did believe that those things predicted the future. In Israel's story, that's not the case. They play a minor role. And so these people who conquered us and devastated us, ripped us from our land, who worshiped these things, who said these things are what tells us the future, these people are telling the story and saying these things, they're insignificant in that story. 
They're, they're playing a small role. Now, it says they are there for seasons, and the idea of seasons isn't for like winter or summer. It, it is their, their calendar for their events of worship, liturgical calendar. And that's what's meant for seasons. It's telling when they're going to have Passover, when they're going to have their different feasts and things like that. It's meant to help them understand that, which again tells us that this is being written talking about what is happening here. See what I'm saying? Let's talk about the seasons of our liturgical calendar, which doesn't happen yet. That means it was written after this at some point. And because it's slamming these guys, we believe it's written here. And other things that I mentioned last week, talking about the times that it was written. Another knock on the Babylonians is, and other religions was that Israel, God, is working by himself. Now, the Babylonian story of creation looks more like a Jerry Springer episode where the gods are fighting with each other and they slay each other and split each other in half. And with one half of the body, they make the land and the other half, they make the sea. And it's this violent upheaval. Also, humans were created to serve the gods. The kings in Babylon were worshiped at gods and they would put statues of themselves all over their provinces so that people would remember them and worship them. And so they were part of this myriad of gods and the human beings were there to serve the gods. They were there to, to do the labor, to do the dirty work, to, to please the, do, the gods. That's why the kings were so prominent. You're here to serve me because I am like the gods. And now in the Hebrew story, humanity are created as God's crowning achievement. And it's only following day six that he says it is very good. Not simply good as in the previous days. That's because humans bear God's likeness and image. We see that in chapter one, verse 26. In the ancient world, Kings and these ideas of gods were to be worshipped. And now we have Israel putting all humanity on this same level. At that time, this is incredible. I wonder what it's like when you go through troubles. I wonder what things you learn. I wonder what things God speaks to you when you have gone through slavery, when you have gone through being torn apart from your family, loved ones, and home. I wonder how that affects your openness to hear what God is wanting to say about the world you're living in when you have gone through something like that. It changes us. And so in Genesis 1.28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish, the sea, the birds, the sky, and over every living creature that moves upon the ground. 
this doesn't sound like the other creation stories of the ancient world. Humans were not made in God's image. They were just slaves. And now humanity is being put as the crown of creation and is here now to serve that creation. Genesis 1 is an ancient statement of faith that the God of Israel alone is worthy of Israel's worship. It's mocking the gods of the Babylonians and telling a different story of who they are and God is going to separate them by giving them a law. And it's important that we start seeing these things as they would see them because immediately they would recognize, oh, that's different than their story. But it's still in the same understanding of the world that they knew. One of the other things in Genesis we see that God creates this vault to put the chaotic waters in their place, so to speak, right? The waters that are above and the waters that are beneath. Again, I remember jumping through hoops to try and justify what this was. The waters that were above. Well, you know, back at that time, there was this, you know, a curtain of water that protected the earth from, you know, radiation. And so there was a lot more water, but that's not what's being said here. And there's no way to know that for sure. And what seems to be happening, and you can look at it, and if you were to research, you know, ancient views of the world, most of them at that time believed that there was water above and that's blue and it's almost like a snow globe that you would put in a bathtub. And that snow globe protects you from the water that's around there. I mean, it's blue, water comes down, it rains a lot, there's gonna be this big flood we're gonna talk about. So what's going on here? Well, there's this water above and this water below and God is bringing order from this so that it doesn't come crashing down and destroying us. It's really inconceivable that Genesis would start out with the universe as we now know it. That it's this big that the sun is the center of our universe and that there are galaxies with multiple universes. There were no telescopes. There was no understanding of what we now understand. And it's not fair to try and put them in this situation. We lose the meaning of this story. And it's important that we understand that it would have been dull It would have made no sense if this was written like a textbook, trying to help us to understand even way back then. No, they're telling a story and they're saying, what we see happening here is not who we believe in. That God did not have a fight with other gods and have a war and create the world that we know. And he did this solo. And he brought order from the chaos that was around. And he leveled the playing field where humanity 
is all in his image. There are no humans that are gods. There are not other gods we need to worry about. It's bringing a singularity to the God of Israel, which again at that time was incredible. To elevate humanity at a time where slavery is the norm is incredible, and it's not really fulfilled even in Israel's time. They don't do this later. But it's very progressive, if I could use that word. And it, it has, it's something that, just in the literary term, 2,500 plus years later, we are still looking at it and being marveled by it. That it's still capturing our attention. That it is still provoking our imagination. Even though they were telling a story in a world that they lived in that looked a whole lot different than the universe that we understand, there are things happening that resonate. And there's a, a trajectory, if you will, of what seems to be taking place with a people who have gone through this and trying to understand what this is about, this law, this God. And so as this story is being told from back here, it is trying to make sense of this and what it's going to happen here. And so we're going to go through a lot of the things that are going to happen leading up to Abraham. We're going to talk about the flood and stuff. Um, again, some interesting things there. But don't lose sight of who these people are, what they are aware of, and what they are trying to communicate. Otherwise, you will reduce what is happening and make all kinds of things up to try and make it fit the modern world and the universe that we know. That wasn't in their interest. They did not care about that. What they cared about was how does this God differ from this God and the other gods that are around? What is it that they have learned that has endured for thousands and thousands of years? And maybe there's some things there that we can grow from and learn from as well. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to enter into this story with the mystery that was present at the time it was written. How it provoked the imagination of the readers. How it caused conversations. It didn't end them how it moved a people forward to become a nation that had laws that were so different from the laws around them. As they grappled with bringing order into the chaos of their world, even as you had done in the beginning. 
Lord, may we not lose sight of this as we move through this book so that we can really grasp hold of some of the the treasures that I think are here that we can appreciate, that can inspire us and help us, Lord, to maintain that mysterious wonder of who you are. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for those of you who are here, I'm going to ask some questions. Those who are watching online, thank you guys again for joining us. We will continue next week in Genesis. We're going to cover uh, chapters, I think, two through four, so that should be a lot of fun. Um, anyway, God bless you guys watching online. Um, talk to you later. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.